Let's open our Bibles again to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9. It's always a joy uh, to communicate God's word, but this morning is a special joy because in many ways the table has been set over the last month or so. Our church has gone through an overview series as Pastor Ross taught through the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus, the theme of Leviticus can be summarized in a simple statement that God opens a way for people to live in his presence. So even as we were just singing, uh, the God is the one who created all. Our God created all. He's the king over all. And yet we are invited to, to come, to come to him. And the book of Leviticus shows us that God opens a way for people who are guilty and sinful, like us, to, to approach this, this holy, sinless God. And then in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews, as the Holy Spirit inspires him, uses so much of what was communicated in the book of Le- Leviticus to then show that Jesus is the better way to approach a holy God. And so again, the table has been really set for us over the last month and a half or so to then consider part of the book of Hebrews and to really focus in on Jesus, who is the better way to God. Would you join me right now in prayer? And then we'll consider uh, what Hebrews 9 says to us. Father, we're thankful that we can behold you. We can behold you in creation But more than that, we can behold you through your son, Jesus. It is in Christ that we see who you are fully displayed. We thank you also that in Christ we we can approach you. We can even pray this prayer right now in this moment because of Jesus. So we thank you for the better way that you have opened up to us through Christ. Father, this morning we also think of some members of our church family who are ministering about 20 miles from here in Imlay City. We pray that you would bless them and bless that church. We pray that you would bring those in that community who are lost to, to be saved and then to, to join that church. We thank you for uh, our brothers and sisters who are serving there this morning. Father, we pray that this morning, through your word, by your spirit, with your people, that we would see you through Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. How many of you have seen the Statue of Liberty? Would you raise your hand if you've seen the Statue of Liberty? How many of you have seen the Statue of Liberty in Lapeer? Would you raise your hand? There is a Statue of Liberty that you can see without leaving Lapeer. Lake Lapeer has a small island, and on that small island, there is a very small Statue of Liberty. How many of you have seen that? Statue of Liberty. Okay, more hands. In fact, most of the teens, uh, if you've been with us in the, in the summer activity where we go to the Burke's house and go tubing, uh, that's on Lake Lapeer. And so many of the teens have seen the Statue of Liberty. And yet when I asked you if you saw the Statue of Liberty, you didn't raise your hand. Why not? Why not? Well, because that's like a fake one, right? Or it's, it's not the real thing. It's a copy of the real thing. Copies are helpful in as much as they represent the real thing. So none of us who've seen the Statue of Liberty on Lake Lapeer would say we've seen the Statue of Liberty, and yet we've seen a copy of the Statue of Liberty, have we not? 
Now, I haven't gotten out of the boat up on the island and inspected it closely to see how accurately it represents the Statue of Liberty. But from a distance, I can look at it and go, that's the Statue of Liberty, or at least a copy of it. The book of Hebrews speaks of the book of Leviticus and says the book of Leviticus has a bunch of copies, copies and shadows. So in Hebrews 8, verse 5, we read that priests are a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. In chapter 9, Tim read it earlier, verses 23 and 24 speak of the tabernacle and its vessels as being copies of the real thing, the heavenly thing. So all throughout Leviticus, we have these copies that are meant to to show us a glimpse of, of the real thing. And then we come to Leviticus and we see the real thing. As Tim read for us Hebrews 9, verses 1 through 5, we, we saw this reminder of the, the copy of the tent or the tabernacle. Verses 6 and 7 of Hebrews 9, we have these, this copy, these priests who are pointing to the real thing. Now, what was God saying through all these shadows and copies? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us. Look at verse 8. Hebrews 9, verse 8. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened. So God is saying through the Holy Spirit, not yet. Not yet. Verses 9 and 10 of Hebrews 9 tell us, not fully. So, so Leviticus tells us about, about this way that's been opened to God, but, but not yet and, and not fully opened. Now, as you read your Bible, you probably know that there are places in Scripture where there are these really, really important conjunctions. Maybe you think of, Hebrew, uh, sorry, of Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy, right? And in Hebrews 9, we have another really, really important conjunction. After this description in verses 1 through 10 of, of the old way of accessing God, look at verse 11. But when Christ appeared. This is the real thing. This isn't a copy. This is the real thing. Now, this morning, we're going to look closely at verses 11 through 14 of chapter 9, but we'll also reference other parts of Hebrews as God, through the Holy Spirit, with the writer of Hebrews, communicates the real thing. Jesus is the better way. If you're taking notes, today's sermon is divided into, into two parts, access and actions. So the first part is, is access. If I were to summarize verses 11 through 14 of Hebrews 9, I would summarize it this way. The better priest went into the better place and offered the better sacrifice to give us the better forgiveness. Don't you like things that are better? Maybe even the last couple of days you had experiences where you, you compared this Thanksgiving to, to a previous Thanksgiving or maybe a certain Thanksgiving dish to a previous rendition of, of that same dish, right? This year, the stuffing was better, or the pumpkin pie was not better, or you may not have said it out loud, but, but we do this. We're creatures of comparison. We, we do this naturally. And God, through the writer of Hebrews, compares Jesus to the old way of, of relating to God. And over and over, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is better. So, so he's the better priest. 
The first part of, of verse 11 in Hebrews 9 says, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. Now, in your Bibles, you can look back at chapter 7 of Hebrews. Chapter 7. Begin reading in, in verse 23. We're going to see that, that the old way of, of access to God included many priests who died. But the, but the new way of access to God is one priest who lives forever. Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But... He, that's Jesus, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. The old way, there were many priests and they died. One after the other, they died. The new way is one priest, a better priest, the better priest. And he lives forever. Hebrews 7, this passage we were just reading, continues. And it tells us that the old way included priests who, who were sinful. They, they were sinners. But the new way, the better priest, is sinless. Keep reading verse 26 of Hebrews 7. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Next word. Holy. Innocent. Unstained. Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. So verse 27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins. And then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. Does Jesus have a weakness? No, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever the levitical priests they they were imperfect and they were impermanent the better priest jesus he's perfect and he is permanent jesus is the better priest and jesus went into the better place so hebrews 9 verse 11 continues then through the greater and the more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. The old way involved this, this earthly tabernacle. Again, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5 that we read earlier speak of, of the tent and then the holy place and then the most holy place and then there are, there are vessels inside of, inside of this. You know, the, the old way of, of access to God what was something like like the beta version of a product. Have you ever signed up for the beta version of something? I use a, a certain email software that works with, with my different email providers. And when it first came out, it, it, was, it was the beta version. Now, I signed up for the beta version, and the beta version was better than nothing. So I was really thankful for the beta version. But it's a beta version, so what does that tell us? It's not the final product, right? Something better is coming. At least all of us customers hope it's better, right? We, we trust it will be better. We think it's going to be better. We anticipate better. So baked into the software is this understanding that it's not, it's not the final version. It's not the better version. A better version is coming. And so 
you keep getting the pop-up that asks you to update your software, right? Because a better version is here. We ought not to disparage the book of Leviticus or the the old way of, of access to God. It was God's mercy that provided that way for his people. It was his kindness and grace that that opened up a way for for sinful people to have access to a holy God. It was good. It was very good. God gave it and God only gives good gifts. But built into that system was this expectation that the better version is coming. And Jesus is the better way to have access to God. So the new way is is heaven itself. Look at Hebrews 9, verse 24. Hebrews 9, verse 24. Christ has entered, where? Not into holy places made with hands, which are what? Copies. Their Statue of Liberty on Lake Lapeer. They're, they're copies. They're, they're good, they're fine, but they're copies. They're They're copies of the true things. So now, verse 24 continues, Christ has appeared, he's entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus, the better priest, went into the better place. Third, he offered the better sacrifice. What's the better sacrifice? The better sacrifice is himself. So Jesus is both the better priest and he's the better sacrifice. Or as as one writer put it, Jesus is the offering and the offerer. He brought himself. He brought his own blood. He brought his own body. The old way required the blood of many animals. And Hebrews 9.23 says that that blood was, was a copy, a copy of the better version. The better version is is Jesus' blood. So keep reading in Hebrews 9, verse 25. After we read of Jesus entering into the better place, verse 25, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But what's the new way? Keep reading. What's the new way? As it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus, as the better sacrifice, tells us how serious our sin is. Our sin is a massive problem. It required the death of of God himself. It required the death of of the only perfect human who has ever lived. The God-man, Jesus Christ. The death of, of calves, of goats, of heifers, it's not enough. It's not enough. Doesn't matter how many animals might die, they will never completely remove my guilt or your guilt. It requires the blood of Jesus. Your sin, my sin, requires the death of the sinless Lamb of God. Jesus is the better sacrifice. So Jesus, who is the better priest, went into the better place, offered the better sacrifice, his own blood and body, to give us the better forgiveness. 
Hebrews 9, verse 13 says, If the blood of goats and bulls, the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of, of the flesh. So the old way of dealing with sin, the old way, the beta version of dealing with sin was, was to clean the outside, the external, the purification of the flesh. But the, but the new way, look at verse 14, the new way deals with the inside. How much more, verse 14, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience? Not just external, but internal as well. Animal sacrifices could never do this. They could never completely remove guilt. They could never make perfect. We read it earlier from Hebrews 9, end of verse 9. Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. They were never intended to, and they couldn't. Or in Hebrews 10, verse 1, the law can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, can never make perfect. Never. But Jesus makes perfect. Look ahead in chapter 10 to verse 14. Hebrews 10. Look at verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected. A couple paragraphs earlier. These animal sacrifices could never make perfect. But Jesus, through one offering, makes perfect. Animal sacrifices could, could never take away sin. You're in Hebrews 10. Look at verse 4. It is impossible. You know what impossible means? In the original Greek, it means impossible. That's what it means. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They certainly could cover they certainly could cover, and, and we thank God for providing this merciful, gracious, Old Testament sacrificial system for his people that could cover their sins. But they could never take away sin. Never. Same chapter, Hebrews 10, look at verse 11. How does verse 11, Hebrews 10, 11, how does it end? The same sacrifices which can never take away sin. You may be trying this morning to, to deal with your sin in a lot of different ways. You may be trying to not think about it. You may be trying to escape from it. You may be trying to, to cover it with, with your goodness, with, with your good works. But you are a sinner, as am I. We all are. And if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that our sin has consequences. Your sin has consequences, and so does mine. If you want your sin to be taken away, taken away completely, it's not possible through any other system, any other way than what God has given to us in Jesus Christ. So back in Hebrews 9, the end of verse 26, Hebrews 9, the end of verse 26, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. To put it away. Jesus brings the better forgiveness. It is a full forgiveness. It's not just the outside, it's the inside. It's not just covering our guilt, it's removing it completely. It's taking away. It's perfecting the sinner. 
So Christ's forgiveness is better because it's full. It is full. Inside and outside. Complete removal. And it's better. His forgiveness is better because it's, it's final. Over and over, we've already read that Christ's sacrifice is once for all. That phrase, once for all, shows up four times in, in this passage. Once for all. His forgiveness is, is final. He secures an eternal redemption. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that, that Christ gives us an eternal redemption, a final forgiveness? A, you might say a, a forever forgiveness. Why does that matter? Well, we've been reading from Hebrews 9, the end of the chapter, and the answer comes in verse 27. You and I, we have an appointment coming up. Now, some of you have appointments this week, maybe here in town. Right? Dentist appointment, eye doctor, something like that. Maybe you have meetings scheduled. But verse 27 says, all man, all mankind, every man, every person has an appointment. Look at verse 27. Just as it is appointed for man to die. To die once, and after that comes judgment. Only a forever forgiveness will, will cover you when judgment comes. You will die. Unless Christ returns, I will die. And our appointment with death is something like, like a hurricane off the coast. Maybe you're there in a, in a beachfront condo and, and you've heard the warnings. Does it matter if you care about the warnings? Does that change the effect of the hurricane? No. Does it matter if you turn off the warnings? Does that change the effect of the No, it doesn't change. Does it matter if, if you wish that it would go away? No, that, that doesn't matter. You've been warned. It's coming. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. Nothing. You can wish this verse weren't in the Bible. That doesn't change it. You can stop thinking about it. That doesn't change it. The judgment is coming. Now, what can you do? Well, if you're in the path of a hurricane, you can... You can seek shelter, right? You can flee for safety. You can find refuge. You can, you can find protection. And God, through Jesus, is giving us a way out. He's giving us a better forgiveness. He's giving us refuge and shelter and protection. This morning, my friend, eternal safety, Final, full, complete, forever forgiveness is offered to you in Christ's sacrifice. Judgment's coming. And God in his mercy is giving to us a, a way of escape, a refuge, protection. Will you find refuge in him? What will you do with Jesus, with the better sacrifice that brings the better forgiveness? Now in Hebrews chapter 10, let's begin reading in verse 11. Hebrews 10, verse 11. Continuing this theme of, of a better forgiveness, verse 11 reads, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time, once for all, a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14, by a single offering, 
He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The old way of dealing with sin was a, was a temporary solution. It offered temporary covering of sin. And so the Old Testament priests stood daily. Their work was, was never done. But Jesus, the better priest, he did what in verse 12? He sat down. One sacrifice, it's over. Or in the words of our Savior, it's finished. It's done. In our lives, there's always, there's always more to do, right? More housework to do. More yard work to do. More repairs to do. More dishes to do. More laundry to do. More meals to make. More tasks to complete. There's always more. There's always more. There's always more. But when it comes to our greatest need, our need of full and final forgiveness, there's, there's really nothing more to do. Jesus Christ paid the price and he sat down. Don't look for a better way. There is none. Jesus made the way and he sat down. So come to him. Come to him. He, he has provided full and complete access to the holy God, to the creator of all. And now through Jesus, he offers full forgiveness, a better way to find refuge, shelter from, from coming judgment for our sins. Now, the second part of our, of our sermon is really the response to this. So this is really for Christians now. If you are here and, and you say, praise God, I have found this better forgiveness through Jesus. Praise God, I, I've received this gift of salvation in Jesus. Then now the writer of Hebrews says, well, you're called to do something. You're called to action. There are three actions that we are called to in, in Hebrews chapter 10. You know, in preparing sermons, sometimes it can be difficult as a teacher, as a pastor, to, to really apply the, the text. There are different ways to do it, different faithful ways to do it, but I'm grateful because... God, through the Holy Spirit and the writer of Hebrews, makes the application really, really clear. Look at Hebrews 10, beginning in, in verse 19. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since... Since what? Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Since we have access. Verse 20. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain... Just to clarify, not the copy of the curtain, but that is through his flesh, the real curtain. Verse 21, since we have a great priest over the house of God. In essence, because we have the better priest who went into the better place and, and offered the better sacrifice to give the better forgiveness because of all this, because of Jesus then, first action, draw near. Draw near. Verse 22, let us, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You may remember in our Leviticus series, Pastor Ross used this illustration of, of a football stadium or maybe a soccer stadium which is a football stadium, but that's a conversation for another time, right? And there are some who maybe can, can just hang out in the parking lot. They don't have tickets into the game. Others 
can get into the, the stadium, but maybe they have like upper level tickets. They can't go down to the lower level unless it's sparsely attended. And then maybe you can sneak past the usher. Yeah. But then there are some who have, who have like front row tickets. And then there are some who have sideline access. Like they can go on the field. Imagine, if you will, soccer star Lionel Messi. He plays right now here in the U.S. after a long storied career internationally. And he, he has three sons. Their names are Mateo, Thiago, and Ciro. Now, I've seen video footage of, of his sons with him. Imagine they go to, to a game where, where he's playing, and after the game, they hang out in the upper level. It's kind of foolish, isn't it? Like, like why, don't, why don't they go down? It's foolish for us to have access to God and to hang out on the periphery. The writer of Hebrews says that's foolish. Draw near. Draw near. Jesus is the Son of God. If you are in Christ, you have full access. Not even just to like front row seats, not even just to the field. You can go into the locker room because he's your father. You have full access, so draw near the confidence, the full assurance of faith. This is confidence not in ourselves, but in our Savior. And I don't mean this in any way to, to demean the significance of Jesus, but it's like, it's like us saying, we're with him. We're with him. If, if he's the Son of God and he's going in, we're with him. We, we get to go in too. We have access in Christ to God the Father. Now, in these verses, there's actually another improvement from the old covenant to the new. There's a phrase in verse 21. We have a great priest over the house of God. See, in Leviticus, the, the holy place was a literal place. It was a location, right? It was made holy. It was a tent that was made holy through ritual consecration and cleansing. So there was a geographical place where you met with God. But we see in Hebrews that, that the house of God is not a place. It's not a tent made with hands. It's, it's not a building made with bricks. What is the house of God? It's us. It's the people of God. It's, it's the church. We are the house of God. Hebrews chapter 3 makes this very clear. Hebrews 3 verse 6 we are God's house. Now that's an improvement. You can have access to God, not, not just in this building. You can have access to God at the Crystal Creek Pavilion, at, at the shepherd's backyard. But you can even have access to God if you're a Christian anytime, anyplace, anywhere. We don't have to come to a certain location. We have access to God through Christ anywhere. So the first action is, is to draw near, to use the access that you've been given through Jesus. You'd be foolish not to. Draw near. The second action is given to us in verse 23. Let us hold fast. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, why? Or maybe a better question, how? Well, he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. 
Why do we hold fast? Because he will hold us fast. Because he loves us so. So we hold fast because he never, ever, ever has broken a promise. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. So hold fast. Draw near. Hold fast. And then third, stir up others. Stir up others. This is verses 24 and 25. And let us, there's the third let us statement. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider. Consider means, means to, to plan. Or as another author puts it, to, to plot. Like to think about. Make plans. How am I going to? When am I going to? You probably made plans over the last couple of weeks for your Thanksgiving. You probably have plans now for this week. For what you might do, who you might see, where you might go. The writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Jesus is better, so then, let us plan. Let us plot. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Stir up also could be, could be put this way, to provoke. Now, provoke often has a negative connotation, especially if you're a sibling. You know how to provoke, right? You know which buttons to push. Here it's a positive connotation, plan to provoke one another to two things, to love and good works. It seems like something like to the right kind of motives and the right kind of actions. So how can we apply this to us? I'm thankful that, best as I can tell, you all planned to be here this morning, right? Maybe it's part of your normal Sunday routine, and if so, that's awesome. But you still had to consider at least a few things, right? Like, like what I'm going to wear, and, and when we're going to leave, and what we might bring, or who we might bring with us. So, so you made plans. That's great. We try to communicate things about our service ahead of time, things like what passage we might want you to read ahead of time the week before, even the songs we might sing on Sunday morning so you can be familiar. So you're planning, you're planning for the gathering. Do you obey Hebrews 10, 25? You meet together. Great, great. Why do we meet together? Hebrews 10, 24. We meet together so that we will stir up, we'll provoke each other to love and good works. Did you make plans this morning to stir up someone else? To provoke someone else? To greater love or to greater good works? That's how we apply Jesus being the better way. We draw near to God. We hold fast to the hope that we have because God is faithful. He promised he will do it. And we think about each other. And we think about how we can help one another be more loving and do more good. So why don't we do it now? You're like, really, Pastor Kevin? Yeah, yeah, really. Because in a minute, we'll, we'll sing and then we'll be dismissed and you'll have a chance to stir up one another to love and good works. Here's a, like a, 
beautiful opportunity to actually obey God right away. Right away. So take a moment. Even while I'm talking right now, you can do this, right? You can, you can think about who in this building, who you might stir up to, to love and good works, who you might encourage. And again, while I'm talking, you can keep thinking, right? So this word encourage, it means a little more than just like, hey, you can do it, keep going. It's a little more like, you've fallen down. I'm going to like pick you up and say, let's go, let's go. It's a little more like that. Now, it doesn't mean that if you're in the lobby and you're not yelling at someone, I'm going to be upset at you. That's, that's not what it means, okay? But it's a little more than just like, hey, hope you have a great week. That's a good thing to say. It's a great thing to say. It's a little more like, how can I love this brother or sister enough to encourage them to, to greater love and to, and to greater faithfulness? So as I've been talking, I've been giving you time to, to, to do this, to consider, to plot, to plan how you might stir up one another to love and to good works. I'll end with a quote from a pastor, Greg Gilbert. He says, A Christian ought to plot, plan, conspire, contrive, and design how he might stir his brothers and sisters to good works, something he simply cannot do unless his life is tightly intertwined with theirs. How exactly can a Christian plot and plan for the good of his fellow believers if he does not know them. So then, don't neglect meeting together. Let's bow our heads. You might close your eyes now as you consider these actions. I believe most of us in this room, the application is, is, is these three things, to draw near, to hold fast, to stir up one another. But, but there are probably some in this room that you really can't do these actions because you don't have access to God through Christ. You, you haven't believed, trusted in Jesus as the, the better priest who went into the better place and offered the better sacrifice to give us better forgiveness. And you can turn from your sins and trust in Jesus right now as I'm talking, as, as we're praying. If that's you, you can in your heart, in your mind, you can... You can repent, you can turn from sin, from yourself, and, and you can trust in Jesus. Cry out to God to save you. After our service closes, myself and some other church leaders will be in the back. And, and if you've done that this morning, either now or maybe even a few minutes ago, if you've done that, would you please just, just let us know so we can help you follow Jesus faithfully? If you don't feel comfortable co coming up to one of us, there's probably someone sitting near you who would love to help you take the next step in following Jesus. Father, we pray as your children that we would respond rightly. We pray that we would be a church that, that considers how to stir up one another. We pray we'd be a people who would draw near. We pray we would hold fast because you are holding fast to us. We thank you for Jesus. and We pray all this in his name. Amen.